Thank you, Ben. And good morning to everyone. So nice to see all of you today. And uh, I really enjoyed the worship this morning. Wasn't it great? Seemed like uh, so many were just entering in with all of their heart. And uh, that pleases the Lord when we come together to worship him. I couldn't help but think today how as we gather together, we've all had different kinds of weeks. Some folks have had good weeks. You've had good news. Other folks, maybe not so much. Had uh, a tough week, perhaps. Had difficult times to to deal with. But isn't it just wonderful to set aside this hour, hour and a half or so on a Sunday morning, gather together, leave everything out there, and focus on him, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And when we leave here, regardless what kind of a week you've had, you're going to feel better when you get out of here today. That's for sure. So it's, uh, it's always a pleasure to have an opportunity to preach, to, um, not preach to you, to share with you. Um, as is uh, the custom, I am preaching from an assigned text today. <laughs> Donna texted uh, Brian this morning, said, uh, you do remember today is Pentecost Sunday and you know what that does to your dad. He texted back and said, "Uh (laughs) uh-oh. So my text today would probably have been, and when the day of Pentecost was fully come. But that's not it. (laughs) It is found in uh, 1 John. And um, I I really appreciated last week's service. Brian's um, talked to us about the history of the church and how it was founded. And, and Donna was telling me on the way in today how many um, how many folks that she knew were gone and on vacation and um, all of that. And uh, still a nice crowd here today with all of that. When I got thinking about it, I thought there are probably as many people gone today as would have been at least half the church when the church first started. And so the blessing of the Lord has been very evident upon this body of people. And um, I think one reason for that is for the strong impartation of the word of the Lord that comes from this platform. I was also thinking how I guess the vineyard would be considered a contemporary church. Um, in many respects. And in some cases, that is not always a good thing because along with the contemporariness, there has been a letdown in biblical truth and biblical standard. But that has not been the case in this place. (laughs) The word of God is preached strongly with love and um, without compromise. So that's that's a very good thing. I um, have an outline for you today, as you may have may have seen. I will not be as um, as smooth and transitioning from one to the other as what Brian is. That's because I'm not as smart as he is. He. Uh, <laughs> he must uh, have gotten that from his mother. 
Well, to come think of it, <clears throat> no. <laughs> hey, in a couple of weeks, we'll be married 49 years. I'm not that stupid. <clears throat> Duh. <laughs> I have known of um, several situations, and I, I want to say I'm taking a lot, little time here, but you don't mind, I know. I know you folks, you don't mind at all. Um, <clears throat> I appreciated it last week, and I want to tell you the um, kind, kind expression of your appreciation that you gave during last week's message to Brian. Uh, that, that was very, uh, very nice. And as his father, I appreciate that. I uh, have known of a number of situations. I also appreciate the fact he said he liked having us here. <laughs> That's good. Because I've known of some uh, young men who had their old preacher dads there that wasn't too glad they were there because they, um, they caused problems. And that's a terrible, terrible thing. So I, have, I try my best to be as irrelevant as possible. And I think I've succeeded pretty well. <laughs> I'm about to get a doctorate in it, I think. I've done pretty well in that regard, but um, I recognize the hand of the Lord upon your, our pastor, and um, I feel that he and you and all of us together are doing a great, great work for the Lord. Very happy today to have a couple friends of ours, longtime friends, Larry and Rachel Stewart are our guests today. And we go back a long, long way. Rachel and I were born just a couple of months or so apart. And uh, we got acquainted right off the bat because our parents were friends. And they go back to their teenage years. And her folks were in um, my grandfather's church back in the 40s. So we have a long, long history. And it was my privilege um, to have had the honor of uniting them in matrimony. A good many years ago now. When I tie it, I tie it tight. They're still here. <laughs> Larry and Rachel, we love you. Good to have you with us today. Appreciate your coming. I have titled today's message, Requirements for Fellowship with God. It's taken from 1 John chapter 1 through chapter 2 and verse 14. I apologize that there will not be scriptures posted uh, today, but a number of you have your Bibles. You can uh, read with us there. But throughout our lifetime, we are all subject to requirements, and it never ends. Schools have requirements. If you're going to be on a sports team, there are requirements that, that come with that. And I got a very strong sneaking suspicion that if you're on Urban Meyer's team, there are some requirements that you better fulfill to stay on that team. There are requirements at your workplace. We just don't come and go as we please. There are certain requirements that must be met. Country clubs have requirements in order to join. Not only to join, but most of them have a certain amount of money that must be spent in their facility every month and you're billed for that. And if you don't go to their restaurant or you don't do this or that and 
take advantage of spending that money, you get a bill anyway. And to maintain your membership, you have to pay that. In order for families to live together successfully, there are certain requirements that must be made. The military has requirements. Throughout our lives, we are all subject to requirements in most areas of our life. Churches have requirements. When you sign that membership form, you are agreeing to certain requirements that are expected of you. This might be a good time to ask, how's that working out for you? (laughs) The things that you signed your name to do, are you faithful to the house of the Lord? Are you faithful in the giving of your tithe to God, which he expects you to do? How strong is your commitment to things spiritual? Why should it surprise us that God, yes, God has certain requirements if we are to be in fellowship with him. This living for God is not a DIY project. It's not a do-it-yourself deal, though many today are trying to do just exactly that. And it's not hard to figure out why what, is, what are the requirements? What is expected of us? It's spelled out in much detail in the book that he provided for us, this Holy Bible. He has given also to the church, the ministry, in order to help us to understand what those requirements are and how we should go about to fulfill them. I want to read the first chapter of the book of First John. This is the King James, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled of the word of life. For the life was manifested, and we have seen it, and bear witness, and show unto you that eternal life, which was with the Father, and was manifested unto us. That which we have seen and heard, declare we unto you that ye also may have fellowship with us. And truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And these things write we unto you, that your joy may be full. This then is the message which we have heard of him and declare unto you, that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar. And his word is not in us. When John began this epistle, he wanted to make things very clear. He said, we have heard him, we have seen him, and we have handled or we have have touched him. Who was it that he was writing about? He was writing about Jesus Christ. How many of you believe that over 2,000 years ago, a man named Jesus walked the earth? You believe that? From the beginning of his life until 
the end of his life. There was no one like him. His life started with a miracle. He was virgin born. His life, his death ended in a miracle. When he was crucified, when he was died, he didn't stay dead. He resurrected. In between those two miraculous events of his virgin birth and his resurrection, in the span of 33 years, there were many other miraculous events. And the reason for this was very simple. Because this was not just an ordinary man. This was a God-man. The Bible says that in him, in Jesus, dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. He was not just a part of God. He was not a fraction of God. He was all God. John 1.1 says, in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. Drop on down to the 14th verse. It says, and that Word, which was God, was made flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. So Jesus Christ was the visible image of the invisible God. If you have trouble understanding this, maybe this will help. When the Bible refers to Father, it is referring to Spirit. When it refers to Son, it is referring to the flesh. And so in Christ Jesus, we have the Spirit and flesh fused together in one man. You talk about supernatural, the supernatural Spirit. In the natural flesh, put together into one person, the body of Jesus Christ. One time the disciples said to, or Jesus, the disciples said to Jesus, show us the Father and it will satisfy us. Jesus said unto them very clearly, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. Because he was the visible image of the invisible God. So the question today is the same as Jesus posed to his disciples many years ago in Matthew 16, 13. Whom do men say that I am? They answered that question. Some say that you're Elijah, some this, some that. But then he asked them a question directly, but whom say ye that I am? It was Simon Peter that answered that question when he said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus then said, upon this rock, the revelation of who he was, that he wasn't just a man, that he was Christ. Upon this rock will I build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against them. So the fact, the fact that Jesus was and is God, is the reason for all that transpired in his life. Things like what, you may ask. All little things like casting out demons, healing the blind opening deaf ears, and then, you know, that little feat of just walking on the water. That deal about standing up in a boat when the storm was raging and just saying three little words, peace be still, and everything quiets down and everything becomes calm. So if you're here today with problems, if you have come today and you feel hopeless, If you have come to church this morning and you feel that you're at the end of your rope, that you're between a rock and a hard place, you may have drugged yourself out here today. In fact, you may have drugged yourself to get here today. I don't know. But regardless of all of that, I'm telling you that after three days, he got up and walked out of the grave, and he's the same yesterday, today, and forever, and he'll do whatever you need done. 
I'm preaching about one today who led his disciples out to the Mount of Olives. And suddenly he decided to turn off gravity for his body and went sailing through the air. So in other words, we're talking about one this morning that he can do whatever it is that you need done. He's been there. He's done that. He's done everything that nobody else could do. And he's still in that kind of business. Are you sick today? He's the healer. He's the great physician. Are you broken? He's the restorer. Are you sad? He's your joy giver. And are you a sinner? He is our forgiver. In fact, he's whatever we need him to be because he is the great I am. I am. John wrote about having heard, seen, and touched him for the purpose that we too might have fellowship with him, as did the apostles. In verse 4, that's why he wrote these things, right? We, that your joy may be full. You see, John knew that the world is not capable of providing true and lasting joy for the human heart. The world cannot do that. I'm reminded so often of the beautiful song we used to sing years ago, only Jesus can satisfy your soul. Only he can bring you, however, I've been so long I've forgotten it. <laughs> but the subject is true. The title is true. Only he can give you joy and heaven too. Only Jesus can satisfy your soul. So when we come into fellowship with him, there are certain requirements that we have. And when you know him, I mean really know him, we have fellowship with him. A deep-seated joy, a deep-seated peace that is in our heart that cannot be disturbed by earthly circumstances. I like that. I have seen people go through the most horrible of horrible of trials and tests. But through it all, they still have that assurance. They still have that calmness. They still have that peace about them. That all things work together for good to them that love the Lord and are the called according to his purpose. And they just keep on walking by faith. And they come through victorious on the other side. So when you know him, it's not... This church business, this salvation business, it's, it's not just, I'm, I'm preaching today about requirements, but it's not just, it's just not rules and regulations. It's just not law. It's relationship. It's relationship with him. And to think about that, to think that he knows you, to think that he knows everything about you, the number of hairs on our head. It's easier for some than others. <laughs> but so be it. That's how, that's how intimately he knows us. John verse 5 says, God is light and in him is no darkness at all. Light and darkness, verse 6 says, cannot exist in a person's life at the same time any more really than they can exist in a room. You turn a light on, darkness leaves. You turn a light off, darkness returns. And the word makes it very, very clear that if a man walks in darkness, he is not in fellowship with God. Do you hear that? If we walk in darkness, we're not in fellowship with him. 
We can come. We can do all kinds of stuff. But if we walk in darkness, if our life does not back it up, we are not in fellowship with the Lord. There may be folks here today who claim to be a Christian and yet walk in darkness of sin. You claim Christ. You claim Christianity. You say that you're a Christian, but your life does not coincide with that claim. I would ask this question today. Have you really met him? Have you really had a conversion? Was your conversion a heart thing or just a head thing? Brian was telling me just a few days ago about a leading clergyman in our, in our country that made the statement that coming to God and being converted is not an emotional thing in any way at all. It is all intellect and head. I don't buy into that. Brian didn't buy into that either. I'll tell you what, folks, when you start thinking about where we have been, that we are sinners on our way to hell, and to think that while we were sinners, that somebody left the throne and glory and splendors of heaven, wrapped himself in human flesh and came and went to a rugged cross of Calvary and bled and died for one purpose only, to cleanse us for that sin and give us everlasting life. I don't know about you, but that turns me on. I get as excited about a Buckeye touchdown as, well, not, no, I don't either. <laughs> I've sat with my boys. But I get more excited about what Jesus has done for me. There's nothing in this world, I said nothing, a horse race, a car race, nothing that ought to excite us and motivate us and turn us on and have the emotional impact in our heart as what Jesus dying for a sinner ought to have. So let me tell you why I feel that we have so many weak and anemic Christians today, like I just spoke about, that have a hard time living for the Lord, that claim to walk in light but yet walk in darkness. It's because they've never been changed. You know, I'm not, I'm not totally sure. I'm not totally convinced that conversion is simply this at the end of a service. Folks, we need to meet him. We need to have an encounter with the God of heaven. When we stand there dry-eyed, and we just said, who wants to accept Christ? Okay, got that taken care of. Another thing off my bucket list. Got that done. I'll tell you, when you meet him, he will change you. If you give it this, and I'm not saying that a person cannot, cannot find God, at least in some measure, doing that. But if you do that, and you turn and you walk out, and you continue to your old life and your old lifestyle, you have not met him. He will change you. The Bible says that old things will pass away. Behold, all things become new. So there are many folks 
who have never really had a life-changing encounter with the Lord. I still believe that each of us need to realize that we're a sinner and that sin unrepented of will separate us from from the Lord, not just now and keep us out of fellowship, but ultimately it will separate us for all of eternity. You see, sin is a cancer of the soul. Today, medical science has come a long way in being able to eradicate cancer from the human body. But Jesus Christ can eradicate sin from your heart. That agent that is killing all of us if it's not gone. It's not done through chemo. It's not done through radiation or a special diet of some time, some kind. But this cure for the cure of cancer for the spiritual soul of man happened 2,000 years ago on an old rugged cross when this same Jesus that I'm preaching about this morning was crucified, when blood poured from his hands and his feet and his wounded side from the terrible, and from the terrible crown of thorns that is upon his head. And it is that blood that can wash away each and every sin. I said each and every sin. I care not how bad you've been. I care not how horrible, what horrible things you might have done. I'm telling you that that blood of Jesus Christ is efficacious. That blood of Jesus Christ will cleanse you and wash you and make you as white as the driven snow. So the good news today is this. You can be free from death-causing sin. And you can be brought into fellowship with the God of heaven. So now... What takes place when that happens, when we come into fellowship with him, when we are converted, when we leave the old life behind, when we're buried with him in baptism, then we come into fellowship and that fellowship must be maintained. There are some requirements that we must follow. And the key to that is this, walk in the light. God is light, in him is no darkness at all. You see, he, God is absolutely holy, absolutely righteous, absolutely pure, and there is nothing that is hidden from him. Don't we humans have a, have a silly notion that we're, that we're getting by sometimes? That we're doing something nobody found out about it? Nobody knows? Well, let me tell you the one that really matters. He does know. Hebrews 4.13 says, All things are naked and open. To the eye of him to whom we must give an account. All things are naked and open to him. If a man walks in darkness, he is not in fellowship with God. Everything is out of whack. There are three benefits of walking in the light. Number one, we have fellowship with God. And that's a wonderful thing. You know, I'm so glad that this isn't the only place that we can meet with him. I'm so glad this isn't the only place that we can find him. He, he, he's a, he rides with me in my car a lot. Yeah. Some of my best church might be in my car, just, just me and Jesus. That's the kind of friend we're talking about. Yeah. He's just, he's just there. 
He's there all the time. He's as close as the mention of his name. You call on him, he's there. I'm talking about the God of heaven. I'm not talking about the president. I'm not talking about a senator. You probably can't get through to them, but you can get through to the God of heaven by just calling his name. He's there. So we have fellowship with him, and we have fellowship one with another. And that's a wonderful thing, that we can have fellowship with each other. And then in fellowship with him, the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. But that sin must be confessed. The Bible says if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. You know, this book is just pretty straightforward, is it not? That's the reason I have a little trouble with all this wishy-washy stuff that's going on. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, we don't want to offend anybody. The Bible says, hey, the truth ain't in you. I mean, this book is straightforward. You've heard of secret sensitive? Be very careful. Don't scare anybody. Don't don't run anybody off. You know, they, they might not get it. I'll tell you, when I grew up, secret sensitive hadn't even been thought of. <laughs> it, it had not even been dreamed up yet. Not at all. <laughs> so, the fact that all of us have sinned, you know what that does? That gives us no reason for any of us to look down on any of us. That's exactly what that means. There's no reason for anybody to think we're anybody. There's no reason for any of us to think we're better than anybody else. Oh, did you hear what happened to someone? Oh, I'll tell you, I, I knew something was wrong there. I, I, I knew something wasn't right. Yeah, it, it caught up with them, you know. No, don't go there. We all came out of the same slimy pit. You look at the drunk on the streets, you look at the murderer on death row, there go I except for the grace of God. So there's no need for any of us to get a big head and to think we are somebody because really we're, we're not much except sinners saved by grace. So when the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin, but you know what? It doesn't take away or remove the propensity to sin. Now think of that. We're forgiven of our sin. It takes away our sin. But the, the, the possibility, the propensity of our sinning again is still there. Is there anybody here today that once you got saved, you've never had a temptation or you've never given in to a temptation or you've never sinned and you were saved when you did it? No. That's the reason that Paul said, oh, said, who shall deliver me when I would do good, evil is present with me. And he was so conflicted and so tormented. Finally, he said, oh, wretched man that I am. What in the world? You see, temptation is not a sin, but yielding to that temptation is where the sin comes in. But I do want to tell you this, that there is a power that if we will walk in the light and let that power and that spirit of Christ reside in us, that it can keep us victorious. It can keep us from sinning. 
even though the potential is there for it. John 2.1 tells us to sin not. We all know that. Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? A lot of people are buying into that today. Well, just keep on. He did die for us. He did die for our sin, didn't he? So, you know, we'll sin. He'll, you know, it's still all right. No. No, there comes a time that um, things are going to be different. But if we do sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Christ Jesus. Proverbs twenty-eight thirteen says, He who covers his sins will not prosper. But whosoever confesses and forsakes them will have mercy. That's a great scripture. If we cover our sin, we will not prosper. But if we confess them, turn around, we will find mercy. Isn't that what Jesus told the lady taken in the act of adultery? Go, sin no more. Don't do it again. If we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Let me say this to you today, and there may be somebody here that really needs this. Don't let the devil just beat you up over past failures. When Christ forgives our sins, they are removed and they are forgotten. They are cast into the sea of God's forgetfulness. There's one thing that God can't do. Let's remember our sin. Cast into the sea of God's forgetfulness, never to be held over our head again. So it's important that we believe this. And it's important that we forgive ourselves. And sometimes that's so hard to do. Sometimes it's easier to forgive somebody else than it is to forgive ourselves. But sin will break fellowship with God, but it doesn't necessarily break relationship. He's still our father. We're still his son. We're still his daughter. If you have a child that has disappointed you and they have sinned, they're still your child, still your son, still your daughter. The disappointment is there. It might even be to the extent that fellowship is broken. But the sonship still, still remains. A son may disgrace his father, but he is still his son, still the son. What are the marks of a Christian? The marks of a Christian are obedience. 1 John 2, verse 3, And hereby we do know that we know him if we keep his commandments. It's very, very important that we keep his commandments. The scripture tells, tells us that obedience is better than sacrifice. I ran across a term just, just the last few days that I had never, I, I knew this existed, but somebody labeled it. Somebody put a term to it. And the term was sexual atheist. Sexual atheist. And let me explain what they were getting at. And I think they're, they're right on target. Said that there are a lot of people today who, who claim to be Christians or even involved in, in the church. Folks, there's some weird stuff going on out there. Weird stuff. 
I heard recently of a church that has two unmarried people living together that are in leadership positions in that church. That is an abomination to God. So this this person was talking about sexual atheists. What is that? That's people who, oh, they believe in God. They claim God. They surrender their life to him. But there's this one area of my life that that we do not let God dictate to us. And that's our sexuality. Regardless what it might be. You know, I'll love you. I'll serve you. But I'm going to conduct my life the way that I want to conduct it. And I'm going to live in that area of my life however I want to live and do whatever I want to do and take God and his commandments and put them aside for that particular category of my life. That's the kind of world that we are living in. So the marks of a Christian are obedience. And number two, that we love our brothers and our sisters. Those famous words a long time ago now by Rodney King, can't we all just get along? You would think so, would you? You would think so. Can't we all just get along? And folks, if there's anybody that ought to be able to get along, it's those of us in the household of faith. We ought to be able to get along. But you want to see some cat fights. I'll tell you what, sometimes churches, oh, 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 oh. you have church trouble. There, there ain't no trouble like church trouble. <laughs> ain't no trouble like church trouble. And when that happens, somebody, somebody ain't walking in the light. Somebody let a little darkness creep in. Because the mark of a Christian is obedience and we love our brothers and our sisters. I want to close now, and in doing so, I, I, want to, I want to just say a few things from my heart. Um, it, it is somewhat surprising to me the pressure, I think, that, that many are feeling to always present such a happy, happy, positive message from the church today. Now, bottom line, it is that. But I am, I am a realist. I'm an optimistic realist. That means that you don't discard the bad stuff. That you don't deny that it's happening. That you don't turn a blinded eye to things that ought not to be. But you recognize them and you do your best to try to right the ship. That you try to make things better. So there seems to be an increasingly strong feeling among most spiritually attuned leaders today that we very well may be entering into a very difficult time for Christianity. All of my life I have heard that if America is ever defeated, it will never be from outside forces or outside armies, but it will be within. And I'm afraid that we are living in a day that we are seeing that very thing come to pass. Now, I know that many have simply tuned out, turned off to anything concerning politics, to anything concerning our national life. 
And people are tired. People are weary of it. And to be very frank with you, half the people have no idea what's even going on. They don't know beans about what's taking place in this world because they don't follow it. And they they pay no attention to what's really transpiring before our very eyes. But let me tell you, if you don't know it, that there is an increasingly anti-God spirit that is loose in our country. No, it's not the majority of our populace that feels that way. Because the majority of folks are still God-believing. Many are God-fearing. But you see, it's a minority that has raised such a ruckus that is causing many times even segments of the church to fall in line against things that the Bible totally forbids. We're seeing things come to pass today that I never dreamed would have happened. And I'll tell you what I thought, why I thought they would never happen. Because I thought if we ever got to that place that there would be a church who would never stand for it. That Christians would unite together and they would rise up and say, oh, no, you don't. Not on our watch. We're not going down that road. We're not giving in on that. But instead, we have a weak, anemic church world that has forfeited the real, true power of God because of our complacency our worldliness, and our fixation on being happy. Now, I don't know what you're thinking about what I'm saying right now. You might think I'm being as negative as I can be, but let me tell you, I'm being as truthful as I can be. We are in a royal mess. And darkness, darkness is beginning to cover the face of the earth. Do you know... That the head of the CIA is a Muslim? Now you think of the ramifications that can have. You think of that. I was shocked when I learned that. That when he took the oath of office to be the CIA director, he would not put his hand on a Bible and take the oath of office. He put his hand on an old, old constitution that didn't even have some of the amendments in it that we hold dear to our heart today. So, here we are. I'm afraid that we have exchanged conviction for convenience, passion for prosperity, and today motivation is more in vogue than meditation. I'm really worried that we have become the Laodicean church That we're a lukewarm church. I have somewhat against you because you have left your first love. Are we as excited about the things of God as we were when we first met him? Does he still take priority in our life? Do we seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and let everything else just take care of itself? But first of all, before anything else, is God and his righteousness as the deer panteth after The brook so penneth my heart after thee, O God. All of my life I've heard that there's going to be an an end-time revival. But you know what? I'm not so sure now. However, I do know this, that the Bible still says, If my people, which are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray, 
then will I hear from heaven. Then will I hear from heaven. But our problem is we have become so much like the world that you can't tell us from the world. We've lost our distinctions. We've lost our values many times. And we've become so complacent. But I do know this, that man-made programs have not and will not produce real revival. For years and years, I've been on boards and committees that sat around trying to dream up things to help churches, to help people, and to bring revival. And they come and they go and they fizzle out and something else comes. But I'm persuaded that the only thing that will bring real revival is a real sovereign move of the Holy Spirit in our country. That's the only thing that's going to do it today. But I'm concerned as to what God may allow happen in order to bring that about. Do you remember after 9-11? I hope I'm not preaching too long. I'm closing shortly. Do you remember after 9-11, the solidity that we felt as a people, as a country? Remember all the congressmen standing out on the steps of the Capitol and singing, God bless America and and all of those things. And everybody was united as countrymen. Everybody was united as one. And things were looking a little better. Churches were filled. That didn't last long, did it? It just kind of fizzled out, you know. Just kind of kind of went away. But I do know this. That even in the midst of all of that. We still have hope. And I'll tell you why I'm positive about this. And I'm positive that the church is going to come around. Because the scripture that I referred to earlier, when Jesus told Peter, upon this rock, what rock was that? That was the revelation of who Jesus is. Upon this rock, that thou art the Christ, I'll build my church upon that, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. You've heard it said, it's darkest right before the light. Right before the breaking of the dawn is the darkest. I believe that we're entering into a very dark period. We have it so easy. Do you know how many Christians are being slaughtered around the world today? I mean being killed. Killed because they're Christians. It's happening in country after country. And here we are today. Still have our freedom. So I do know this. that God's going to have a church. I do know it's going to be a glorious church. It's going to be a church without spot, blemish, or any such wrinkle. So in closing today, let me tell you this. I long to see a sleeping church arise. I long to see unity in the body of Christ. I long to see a church unified in worship where all are participators and there are no spectators. Where we all Raise the roof, so to speak, with praises of him who hath called us out of darkness into this marvelous light. I'm hoping for a renewed burden for the lost. So many of us today know very little about a burden today, but that doesn't change the fact that the world is lost, that some of our loved ones are lost, and there's a terrible fate awaiting all who are not safe in Christ. We need to get a renewed vision of that. We need to get a renewed vision of what it means to be lost. We need to get a renewed vision of how long eternity is and how horrible separation from God would be during that time. I long to see us moved with compassion and passion 
Too many times we've replaced those with casualness and complacency. I wonder what would happen if we had more prayer and less play. If we had more of the word and less worldliness. If we had less of me and more of him. Never have I heard so much preaching on how to get ahead, how to be successful, how to plant a seed, how God wants to make you prosperous, how God wants to get you to the next level. I'll tell you the next level I'm interested in getting to is from this level to that level. (laughs) That's the one that I want to have top priority. I may never get out of wherever I am now, but I do know that I can get from this level to the next level. I feel like I'm just getting started, but I'm not. (laughs) So what it all boils down to is this. It's not about us. It's not about you. And these preachers are trying to make you think it's all about you and getting you out of this and that and just making you have heaven on earth. Let me tell you, there ain't no heaven but heaven. Forget it. We're never going to see utopia here. Roses will always have thorns. But he did say, I've gone to prepare a place. (laughs) That where I am, there ye may be also. Oh, when we get him. I'll tell you what we get when we get Christ. He comes with a cross. And the scripture tells us to take up our cross daily and to follow him. Thank you, Lord. As the musicians come, would you bow your heads right now? Lord Jesus, we thank you for the written word. We thank you that you have laid out for us the life that we should live, the things that we should do, the requirements that are placed upon us to know you and to be in fellowship with you. Lord, I thank you today that you're mindful of us. Lord, I know that you know all of our shortcomings corporately. You know our shortcomings individually. But in spite of all of that, you love us, you care for us, and you want the best for us. And we know that the best that we can do is to follow your guidelines, to follow your principles. Anything less will rob us of our joy, will take away our peace. But when we follow after you with all of our hearts, there is a joy unspeakable. There is a peace that passeth all understanding. And Lord, I pray today that any troubled heart that is here will feel that peace, will feel your presence, that abiding presence of the Lord Jesus Christ that can do for us what none other could ever do. Bless us now in Jesus' name. Amen.